0: Listening to the Venue podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. That feels well. Hey, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. Thanks for letting me, my family, crash with y'all for the weekend here. Uh, my name is Cody. My wife Jordan is back there. She can kind of wave her hand. She's next to Ashley. Our four-year-old son, Judah, has passed out on her because he went way too hard at main event last night, and that's just the repercussions of it, so your students might be feeling that as well, but we come from Houston. I'm still in student ministry. God changed my life at 16-year-old in student ministry, and so first time in Lubbock, Uh, and so I'll say this, uh, tumbleweeds aren't a myth. They're a real thing, all right? Uh, I didn't know, like, right? I was like, man, those things have got it. Surely, they don't just go by the road. No, like they're stuck under people's vehicles. They pass through everything. Uh, So that was fun to see that. Uh, But man, it's been good to be with your students this weekend. Students, have you had a good weekend so far? Yes. All right. Well, well, we're not done. Um, Hey, I want to say this. I want to brag on your team for a little bit. Your student team that's led by Brandon. So Austin and Casey, hey, they're the real deal. They're top tier uh, and they lead a team really, really well. And they lead these college students that are investing in the life of these teenagers this weekend really, really well. So if you got time today, like give them a high five, recognize them, and give them a pillow because they're probably going to want to take a nap after this. Um, But man, it's been good. And so Austin said it earlier. I want to thank you guys as well because your generosity, the way that you love the Lord and the way that you give your time, energy, and your giftings make things like this happen. And these weekends have an eternal impact on the lives of students. And so, hey, way to go for believing not only in Jesus, but in the next generation as well. So thanks for not giving up on them. So this weekend, we have been looking at this idea of, we've been lulled to sleep spiritually, that we need an awakening in us, and that's what we're asking God to do, to awaken the things that have just been dormant in our life that have been lulled to sleep, because at some point, probably, if we're a follower of Jesus, it probably wasn't like that before. Like, right? Maybe you've seen it, maybe you've experienced it, right? A person becomes a follower of Jesus, and they get all fired up, right? Like there's a spring in their step. There's this quiet confidence that they have in Jesus. They're not ashamed to share their faith or live out their faith, or maybe post some things about their faith on social media, those kind of things. Like they pursue personal holiness. They have like this this akin to their sin. It's like, God, I I don't want my sin to get in the way of us, right? It's a really beautiful sight to see when, man, someone just gets it and they're on fire for Jesus, right? Those can sometimes be the good old days, but then over times, maybe a person changes and that passion begins to slip away. So the joy, the peace, the power that you had in like early on in your walk with Jesus now feels more like a rarity. It seems more like an anomaly. Um, All that spiritual momentum, it's kind of just gone as they find people like are beginning to drift back into the old ways of thought or the old actions or the old behaviors, right? And you just kind of feel thin spiritually, right? Like all the life has been sucked out of it. All the air has been sucked out. Of it. And so maybe you've been lulled to sleep spiritually. And so maybe that's why you find yourself at Southcrest at the beginning of 2023, right? Because like 2022, you're like, man, that was just bad, right? Like I wasn't pursuing Jesus. It felt like a drag spiritually. And you're like, man, I'm here because I want things to change. I want something like to stir within me again, but you're not sure maybe where things went sideways. And so if that's you, like I'm not here to shame you. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm not here to call you out. Like, I just want you to know like you're not alone in that, right? From the beginning of Christianity, really go back all the way to Genesis. You see people have an encounter with God and have these moments with him and you begin to see them drift spiritually, right? People for generations that have followed Jesus have been lulled to sleep, right? And so what happened to cause them to lose that power or that joy or that peace that they once had in Jesus? And maybe a better question is this, is how do we experience that again? How do we experience the joy? How do we experience the power that's found in the gospel? How do we experience the peace that we have in the person of Jesus or simply how can we be awakened. So if you've got a Bible this morning, if you've got a smartphone, uh, if not, we're going to have it up on the screen. Turn with me to Galatians chapter one in the New Testament. And this is where I think, as we look at Paul's letter to the Galatians, is going to be really, really helpful for us. Because in it, we find followers of Jesus experiencing the pains of being really unplugged or being lulled to sleep from God's power and from his grace, right? They had it, then they lost it, and the apostle Paul knows exactly what the problem is. And so here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that what the Galatians are going through in this text is the very same thing that you're going through, but I would be surprised if it wasn't. I would be surprised if this American Christianity, this nominal Christianity that we can sometimes find ourselves in isn't being spurred on by the same thing that was happening in the church of Galatia, right? so, what's the issue? How does Paul see the answer? So, let me give you some context, right? So, months earlier, maybe a year earlier, Paul and his church planning team they were going out through uh, this southern Roman province of Galatia, planning churches along the way, like in Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. So they're going to these places and they're planning churches, right? And so Paul was Jewish and he probably had a bunch of guys who were now followers of Jesus that were Jewish as well. And so they're going into the synagogues, to these Jewish synagogues, and they're proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah that we have been waiting for this whole time, that he is the one that has been promised to us. And these people are becoming followers of Jesus. So they in these synagogues, people are coming followers of Jesus. They get outside of the synagogues and they go to these people called the Gentiles who have no faith background in God, have no idea what it looks like to follow him. And they begin to proclaim the good news to him about this is who Jesus is and this is how he can save you from their sin. And so people are coming to faith in Jesus. And so this town is made up of Jews and non-Jews who are coming together now to follow Jesus. Jesus. And so they're doing this so much that they're going from town to town planning these churches, right? And once they would kind of finish planning these churches and spend their time, they would kind of do like, right, like a comeback tour, and they would reverse their way back through, and as they're reversing their way back through, right, they're encouraging them. They're like, hey, this is what it means to continue to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to have unity in the church. This is what it looks like to grow in sanctification, right? Like, man, these are exciting times in the life of the early church, right? Like, there's just a vibrant uh, to spirituality. All these kind of things are happening, but unfortunately, over time, what happened was false teachers would begin to come into these churches and to these towns, and they would begin to infiltrate the churches. And so it appears that these false teachers came from a Jewish background. And they would say, they were telling Gentile converts that if they wanted to, for God to accept him, if they wanted God to approve of him of them following him, that they would have to add some things to their faith, to the work of Jesus on the cross for your sins, right? that maybe they had to keep certain Jewish rituals or be a part of certain ceremonies and certain feasts, all these kind of things. Like you've got to embrace these rules and these Jewish traditions on top of following Jesus. And so now this dark cloud has really hovered over these new congregations and it has begun to lull these followers of Jesus to sleep. And so Paul hears of this, right? He gets word and he tees up this letter to the church in Galatia. So this is where we pick up after his introduction in Galatians 1, three through five. It says this, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right, so this is a, there's a lot going on in just these couple verses. We could unpack a ton of stuff because again, Paul says these guys are coming in They're teaching a different good news, a different gospel than the one that I had taught you. So let me remind you of the gift that you have in the gospel, right? Let me remind you of what exactly the gospel is. This, man, if anything is gonna wake him up, if anything is gonna fire him up, this is gonna be it right here, this information. So what's he say, right? Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, right? So the gospel shows us that all the, like man is in trouble, We've got an issue, and so Jesus gives himself up on behalf of us. Jesus is doing the work as our substitute. It says, to deliver us from the present evil age. So at the cross, Jesus comes in and he rescues us from our trajectory of God's wrath and hell and eternal punishment. He rescues us when we couldn't do that for ourselves. Right, And it's like, well, did he rescue me because, man, I'm pretty, or I'm smart, or I've got this job, or I have this status in society? No, no, listen to what he says of why you're rescued. He says, according to the will of our God and Father. So this tells us that the entire rescue mission is based not on your goodness, not on your merit, not on my accomplishments or anything like that, or my ability to obey, but purely upon God's grace. He saves people who can't save themselves. And that's exciting. It's exciting, right? And so that's why in the end, Paul ends with this as a celebration. To whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. He's pumped. He's like, this, this is the gospel that I shared to you. This is the good news that I told you about. again, we could spend this entire sermon breaking this down to demonstrate the greatness of the gospel. This morning, I wanna take one aspect, one look, of the gospel that I believe sets it apart from everything else, right? This would set it apart from other religions in the world, but this is also gonna set it apart from other types of Christianity masquerading as truth. What sets it apart? And so, you ready for it? What makes the gospel so great? It's news. It's news. And you might be like, dude, that is the most anticlimactic thing I've ever heard in my entire life. So what if it's news? Like, what's the big deal about that? But I'm gonna argue that it's the news quality of the of the gospel, the newsiness of it that sets it apart from everything, right? Again, from other religions and false Christianities masquerading as Christianity. And so this is what Paul is talking to to the church in Galatians. So let me explain. So what's what's news, right? News, ultimately, is a reporting of an event that's already taken place that you had nothing to do with, right? So you turn on your TV at five o'clock and the five o'clock news comes on and they begin to report things that you had nothing to do with or we hope you had nothing to do with, right? Hopefully you're not making the front page of the news, right? But you turn it on and they're reporting things that have already happened that you had nothing to do with. Right, And so look at Paul's description of the gospel in verse three, it's past tense. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, right? Who gave, notice, it's past tense. So the work of Jesus is news, meaning that the work required for salvation took place at the cross and you had nothing to do with it. nothing. You had nothing to do with the cross. So why is that ultimately important? So here's the big idea this morning, where Christianity is news, all other religions or any other religion masking itself as Christianity is about advice. All right, the heart of that is that they won't tell you what God has done for you in Jesus. They'll tell you what you have to do to be approved of by God. One is news, the other is advice. So let me kind of give you an illustration by a guy by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, smart dude who is a pastor, that I think will help unpack this. We'll have this scene up here, right? So imagine, right, you're in this castle, and as you look over the walls of this castle, you see a sea of people coming towards your castle but it's not just any kind of people, it's, it's the enemy, right? It is, it is your arch enemy that they are coming to bring ruin to your city and to your kingdom. And then you notice, as you're looking over the walls of this castle, you see the army from your city begin to go out and at the front of that army is your king. And so Dr. Jones, he kind of gives two scenarios. And so imagine as you look out and you watch the enemy, they just begin to put a whooping on your army and on your city, right? Like so bad that you go, man, inevitably we're going to lose. Like we are absolutely 100% going to lose. So what does the king do? As he begins to know that he's going to lose, he's gonna send a couple people back to inform the people of what's happening. So like they may come in and be like, hey, listen up. We're military advisors. The king has sent us to advise you and give you some things to do. It's like, You may need to move some chariots over here, or you may need to like put some more arches right here at the top of this wall, or try to barricade the door so they don't come in, right? Like, we're gonna lose. We got really no chance to win, so hey, just kinda cross your fingers and hope that things kinda maybe work out for you, right? Like, we've lost the major battle, but man, I hope this advice helps you, right? So that's one scenario, and how does that make you feel? Right, like if I'm the person in that castle and this army is just coming in like, I'm getting anxious, I'm getting stressed out, I'm worried about what's gonna happen. Do I have enough work within me to help maybe win? That puts a lot of pressure on me. And here's the other scenario that Dr. Jones lays out. He says the king goes out with his army and he just waxes the invading army. Kind of like the Astros with every other baseball team this last year. Amen, right, thanks Casey. I mean, just destroys the other army. And so as the army, this invading army is being destroyed, the king sends some people back to the city, but this time they're not military advisors, they are heralds. And they run in and they say, the king has won. He's defeated the enemy. Now enjoy the spoils and the peace and the blessings that the king has achieved for you. Enjoy it. And then you see your king ride back into the city and you are just filled with elation because of what your king has done for the victory of you and your people. That's good news, right? So instead of maybe feeling anxious or stressed, you now feel like, man, there's elation, there's there's happiness, there's joy, right? And that is the difference between Christianity and other faiths. And Lloyd-Jones says this, every other religion sends military advisors to people. Every other religion says that if you want to achieve salvation, you will have to fight for your life. Every other religion is sending advice saying, here are the rites and the rituals, here are the laws and regulations, marksmen over here and horsemen over there, and we're gonna fight for our lives. We send heralds, we send messengers, not military advisors. So you see, Christianity is news, and others are advice, again, They're not gonna tell you what God has already done to rescue you, they're gonna tell you what you need to do hoping that you somehow survive and that you somehow make it. Do you see the difference? News is what has been done for you. Advice is what you need to do. So again, think about that for a moment, right? Both messenger and military advisor, they get a response from people. One responds in joy and elation, what has been accomplished for them, the other feels this pressure to perform, not knowing if they're ever gonna make the cut or not, hoping that the enemy doesn't take them out, right? Like that's the gospel of sweat equity, right? It's like, man, if I just work real hard by the sweat of my brow, I hope I make it. I hope I get approved by God, right? That's the difference between Christianity and everything else, where other faiths and other things put the pressure on you because here's what you need for God to do to accept you, advice, the gospel declares that God has done for us in Jesus what we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived the life we couldn't. He died the death that we deserved and he rose securing our victory, right? That's the gospel. And that gospel, even though it comes from this Greek word, euangelion, which means good news, right? Like they would use that word in old English terms, right? They would say like, gospel, gospel, the king has had a child." Like they're announcing good news over your Gospel, gospel, the king has return. Good news. The king has done something. So that's why in pulpits all around the world here this morning and in the worship center and at my home church, right? Like you don't just have gurus there or people who give sage advice or advisors. No, you have heralds, proclaimers, preachers, good newsers who stand in the town square like they did in the ages of past, crying out gospel, gospel, or good news. The king has won the battle for you. Come enjoy joy." all of the blessings of his victory on your behalf, right? So when everyone else is telling you what you need to do for God to save you, the gospel is telling you what's already been done for you in order to be saved. That's the greatness of the gift of the gospel, right? That's what moves us to tears, or that's what stirs our emotion. It's what makes us leap for joy, or it's why we raise our hands and worship, or that's what inspires us to get up on Sunday morning to be with a bunch of different people who have believed and received the good news as well, and praise the king. It's the good news. But here's the tension in all of that. Our hearts tend to drift away from its truth. We can easily forget the gospel's greatness, and we tend to forget that the king has won and begin to believe that we've got to add to Jesus's work to make salvation really take, for God to really accept us, right? It's the old song, come thou fount, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it dude, I feel this all the time when it comes to me following Jesus. That's what's happening in Galatia where some believers are exchanging the good news of grace for an advice-oriented faith where you have to do X, Y, Z in order to stay acceptable to God. And it's not that they're not Christians. It's just now that they're beginning to function outside of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So they're believers, but functionally, they're living outside of the way that God has called them to live. And that's when they begin to be lulled to sleep spiritually, or that they now feel thin, is when we begin to desert the gospel functionally. It's Jesus plus you, it's Jesus plus horses and chariots and archers here and archers there. It's the fingers crossed man, I hope I make it. And so Paul hears this in Galatia. And here's his response. right? He tells them the good news and here's his response to the false teachers around them. And here's like, I don't want you just like to read this. I want you to feel this. I want you to feel what Paul is really talking about right here. So he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In case he didn't catch it the first time, hear it the second time, right? Have a nice day, right? Paul is, he's bent. But now that you know the backstory of what's happening in this church, you can see why Paul is responding the way that he is. He loves these people. He spent time with these people. He's seen them come to faith in Jesus and give their lives over to him. And he's seeing them trade the life power that the life-giving power that's found in the gospel for something that's mere scraps of the gospel. All right? He's seeing them trade that. All right? False teachers are saying, I know you've embraced Jesus' death on the cross for you, but if you really want God to accept you, you need to get circumcised. You need to attend this feast or adopt these customs, or today it might be like, hey, in order for, real, for God to really approve of you, you better be at church 52 weeks of the year. You better be there every time the door is open. If you don't read your Bible at this time every single day, then I don't know how God's gonna think of you. Or if you don't pray this like that, or if you don't serve in this capacity, or if you don't give this, right? It's like, that's what might be like that for us. And so when we begin to add on to the grace of God in order that Jesus, man, would just, would you approve of me? Would you accept me? And Paul says, that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. That's just advice. And so the moment that the gospel becomes advice, it's not the gospel anymore. The moment that the gospel just becomes advice, it's not the gospel anymore. The moment you begin to accept that Jesus plus something, it's not the gospel anymore. The gospel that says Christ alone has achieved our acceptance with God. And when someone pushes against that, saying, you know, it's really Jesus plus, they're only giving you advice and they've no longer giving you the good news anymore. All right, so Paul's so convinced of the greatness of the gospel that he says, if anyone, <clears throat> even an angel, comes to them and shares a different message of the good news that he's given, those people should be accursed that word is anathema, cursed to hell, damned to hell. Like he's that passionate about it. So, right, imagine we're all here in the venue and out of nowhere, the roof just opens up and an angel begins to descend. We're like, oh my gosh, what is happening, right? Like it's going on and he begins to like share a message and he's like, hey, listen, God is great, And Brandon's like starting to do a happy dance. He's getting a little Baptist or whatever. And he's like, hey, Jesus is alive. And and like Casey and Austin are like, yeah, yeah, he is. That's good stuff, right? And then he's like, if you want God to accept you, then all you have to do is believe in Jesus. And you're like, yes, yes. And he's like, and do these things. That's the moment that we're all in Texas. You should get your concealed carry out and begin to run that dude off, right? (laughs) Right, like run him off because that angel isn't heavenly, but he's hellish. And again, the moment the gospel becomes advice, it's not the gospel anymore. And so to add to the gospel is to subtract the good news. The moment that we begin to add to the gospel, we take away the good news of it. And so we can look at this text and we can go, man, poor Galatians. Too bad they were struggling with deserting the gospel. But you know there's other ways to desert the gospel as well, so let me say it like this. When we think God loves us more when we obey and loves us less than we disobey, we're deserting the gospel. When we believe that our identity is found in how much we make, what we look like, or where we live, we're deserting the gospel. When we treat the gospel as the front door to Christianity, and not the room that we live in for the rest of our lives, we're deserting the gospel. So let me ask you this this morning. Which gospel are you believing in? How do you feel, right? How do you feel when it comes to Jesus? Have you let your heart drift to trusting in performance to earn God's favor? Do you feel exhausted? Do you feel anxious? Are you crossing your fingers? Man, God, would you love me today? Would you find acceptance in me today? I've done this for you. Do you feel stress from that? Have you forgotten the joy of the good news? Or maybe have you been lulled to sleep by the tactics of the enemy to believe in something else other than the gospel and you simply need to go, God, wake me up. Awake me up to the great news that we have in Jesus. So here's the deal. I'm not here as an advisor this morning. I'm not here as a guru to tell you to do something better so that Jesus will accept you. I'm here as a proclaimer to tell you that the King has won on your behalf. So I don't know how your 22 ended, but I can tell you how your 2023 can kind of get off to a start. You can be awakened to the goodness of God by repenting of exchanging the treasure of the good news for the scraps of advice. So maybe for you, the way back to joy, peace, and power and gratitude in Christ is to remind yourself of the gospel because we never outgrow it. The gospel is the thing that should continually grip our hearts over and over and over again that Jesus lived the life that you couldn't, died the death that you deserved, and conquered death, hell, and the enemy, and we are co-heirs with Christ. And we join him with that. Not based on what we've done, but what he has done for us. And we will look to a bloody cross, an empty tomb, and, a herald, and as a herald, we can once again proclaim to every heart in this room, gospel, gospel, the king has won. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful for what you have done for us in the person of Jesus that we couldn't do for ourselves. And God, I'm sorry that I can easily drift and fall into the temptation to say, God, it's me plus this. If I would just act this way, or if I would have this certain status, then God, you would approve of me. God, you approved of me when I was messed up. That while I was an enemy, you died for me. While I was a sinner, I bring nothing but filthy rags to the table of your grace and mercy. And you cover me with the righteousness of Jesus, all based off of him. I don't have to trust in myself, but I can trust in the one who want it for me. So God, would you remind these people, would you remind my heart, would that be the thing that informs me and shapes me more than anything else that this world may try to tell me? God, we're grateful for the cross. We're grateful for the empty tomb. We're grateful for Jesus. Let's sing of him now. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.